The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. This week, the UCAP gang are all worked up about an upcoming episode and are hearing from listeners really far away. They reminisce about past visits to Sun and Fun, get serious about FAA medicals, remember some genuine American heroes, and consider putting out a hit on that Phillips guy. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 22, 9,647 miles. Congress going to recognize some of the most heroic pilots in the U.S. Army Air Force. Get the notum, read the notum, understand the notum, and fly the notum. We've also been talking to a number of our friends at Sun and Fun, and with their help, we've come up with a really cool plan. All right, everybody ready? Uno, dos, tres. Cuatro, cinco, seis. Let them rip. Welcome, folks, to episode 22 of Uncontrolled Airspace. I'm Jack Hodgson. Also hanging out with me this morning in the virtual hangar is uh, Jeb Burnside. Jeb is uh, talking to us once again this morning from his home base in Springfield, Virginia. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. Good morning, Jeb. Good morning, Jack. Uh, Dave, good morning to you. Morning, morning, all, morning. All of our listeners, good morning. Uh, this might be a rocky ride, folks. We're a little bit uh, wonky here this morning in the uh, in the pregame festivities. So yeah, well, you hold know, on. Strap in tight. We're letting that we're letting that Windows machine be the Skype host of the conference call this morning. So Ooh. anything is possible. I don't so know. Blame, yeah, anything's possible. And if if this thing goes awry, blame Bill Gates, not us. There you go. Hook your, he hook those. Uh, Hook those spurs under the front of your ejection seat. There you go. need to punch out. And that other voice is uh, the other person with us this morning, of course, Dave Higdon. Dave talking to us from beautiful Wichita, Kansas. Dave's an (laughs) aviation photographer, a senior editor of Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Jack, Jeb, and all the aviators in the air and wishing they were. Yeah, that's right. And I am Jack Hodgson up here in Boston, Massachusetts. I am a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. And uh, you're in Boston. Why did I think you were in New Hampshire? I, I I used to be in New Hampshire. I lived it's, in New Hampshire for a bunch of years. Probably when I first met you, I was still living okay. in New Hampshire. Okay, it's and, the accent. Uh, um, I, it's I the actually, accent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that, boy? <laughs> so, I don't know whether you're dissing Boston or New Hampshire or just me or all of these things here. I, I, we're, I, what, what I heard was um, someone say something about your accent, which I find you don't have an accent. Okay. That's what I found funny. 
right. See, the problem is I can't even do a Boston accent. I grew up here. I, I ought to have that accent. And I don't know whether it's because I've been, you know, talking on microphones and at public podiums off and on over my, my adult it life. It was all that long. time you spent in San Francisco. That's what the... Uh, well, people... I, I actually have more of an accent since living in California. Um, really? When I lived... Be, way before I went to California, people would tell me the same thing. And... Uh, uh, it's okay by me, although I don't mind the accent either. And believe me, I stray into it from time to time. Uh, you know, yeah, I mentioned yeah. people in Boston ask you what your accent is. Yeah, well, yeah, people in Boston in accents. I don't know. People in Boston don't believe they have accents. They can't hear it. They think I talk just like them. I think. No, I don't right. know. Nobody in their home turf thinks they have an accent. Everybody no, else has an accent. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah I, I usually don't have an accent until the third beer. <laughs> well, and, and uh, I, I deliberately try to have no accent when I'm on the radio talking to ATC. You know, then then I try to sound like air carrier pilot. See, I have to tell you this: yeah. to yeah. my ear, both of you have a really cool little bit of a of a southern twang kind uh-huh. of thing going. All right, well, that, you know? that is indigenous for both of us, which yeah. actually works well. I think that's kind of the way you ought to talk on the radio to ATC. I, I, I agree. There ought to be that that West Virginia Chuck Yeager twang. Exactly, thing. that Chuck yeah. Yeager thing is uh, is uh, absolutely Chuck's appropriate. Man. You know, and uh, I think we all kind of go for that when we. Uh, when we talk on the on the radio. So yeah. anyways, well, I wanted to do a quick little plug here. I've been really busy the last couple of weeks. Uh, and, Jack uh, has been humping. And I, I wanted to do a little quick plug here for another project that I've been working on. Uh, and it's not aviation. I've, I've started a new podcast that I wanted to tell people about. Dun, it's, dun, dun, dun. it's not an aviation podcast, so I won't, I won't bug you guys with it for too long. But I did want to tell anyone out there in the audience who is interested in technology in general. And that's sort of my other beat uh, in my writing and my uh, media production. Everybody um, salute general technology. I've been... I've been running a uh, I've been running a website for a qu- couple of years now called Tech Populi. It's at techpopuli.net. And uh, just this past week I've started to do a daily technology news podcast called the Tech Populi podcast. Uh, the subtitle of it is Geeky Stuff for Regular People. And uh, it's very short. It's about three or four minutes long. It comes out every morning. And uh, uh, it's got a little bit of uh, things that I think are interesting or important about uh, the world of technology. So if you're at all interested in that kind of stuff, you might want to check out techpopuli.net. That's T E C H P O P U L I.net. And uh, you'll see links to the podcast. So. Uh, that's Very my cool. I, I will go check that out. I'm a I'm a kind of a latent geek, so yeah. I know you're uh, well. You, you you may be in in remission or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I've been talking yeah, with you, Chad. I, you're a lot more of a geek than you let on. So uh, uh, okay. Yeah, you, you've got a shady is, past. I'll tell you. This right? is true. This is true. Yeah. He's a bit head in 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 disguise. Uh huh. Uh huh. So while we're on it, any of you guys want to plug anything you guys are working on? Is there? I mean, you're always welcome to do that. Um. Nothing, nothing that we haven't already right. plugged. Well, I kind of uh, dropped that on you. Think about it in the yeah, future. Yeah, my, my uh, month is my month is kind of um, down the tubes anyway. But uh, um, a couple of projects I'm working on are, are pretty much run of the mill. Um, uh, nothing really uh, huge uh, in there to, to get stressed about. Mm-hmm. Well, if anybody picks up a copy of World Aircraft Sales at their local FBO, and they should find it at almost any FBO in the country. Uh, they can see a 10 questions interview uh, in the uh, upcoming April issue that we did recently with Jim Coyne at the National Air Transportation Association, uh, talking a little bit about FAA reauthorization, the state of the FBO business, air charters, and, and other sundry topics that are on the fringe of the uh, private pilot community, where the private pilot community
community overlaps uh, uh, business uh, of uh, aviation. So uh, that's one of the latest things that we've worked on on World Aircraft. So cool. I need to check that out. One last bit of business. Uh, actually, we have two bits of business, but the first of the bits of business here is uh, just wanted to remind everyone that in, in addition to listening to this podcast, we hope you'll also visit the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com. There's all sorts of good stuff to be found there. You can see show notes for all of our other episodes with links to the web pages we talk about and other background information. Also, remember, we love getting feedback, and boy, do we have feedback today. We actually oh, wow. can't fit it all in, but uh, we'll get to that later on. I hope it's low calorie. I'm on a diet. So Send your questions, comments, and news tips to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Um, or you can call our listener line and leave us an audio comment. You can get the phone number for the listener line off the front page of the website. And finally, please do visit your favorite podcast directory like iTunes or Dig or Yahoo Podcasts and leave some feedback about this show so that other people can decide whether they want to subscribe. So, anyways, and if you didn't copy all that, don't worry. Just visit the Uncontrolled Airspace website. It's all there and more. That's at www.uncontrolledairspace.com. So, all right. What else? We love hearing from you. Now, here's the exciting. Now, that's kind of been the kind of run-of-the-mill stuff. Here's the really exciting bit of business and the bit of uh, announcement that uh, we want to make today. Yeah. For yeah. the past couple months. That is what's that say again, Jeb? Well, that is prelude to the to big announcement. To the big announcement. Um, prelude for, to the bigs. For the, uh, for the past couple of months now, we've been talking off and on about uh, on this podcast about our ideas for the uncontrolled airspace uh, at Sun and Fun. Uh, during that time, uh, we've also been talking to uh, a number of our friends at Sun and Fun, and with their help, we've come up with a really cool plan. So this morning, we're excited to announce that on Wednesday, April 18, that's, uh, I believe, the second day of Sun and Fun, right after... Weather authorities permitting. Yeah, well, no, we'll do it weather one way or the other, but uh, we, we may have to adjust a little bit if it rains. But uh, Wednesday, April 18, right after the daily air show, we will be recording Uncontrolled Airspace number 25 from the grounds of, Sun and, of the Sun and Fun fly-in. Now, even this more is exciting. This really good part. This is the good part. Yeah. yeah. Even more exciting is that this episode will also be aired live on Sun and Fun Radio there in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, and then later that evening, the episode will be posted on the internet, as always. Uh, we will be set up on the outdoor deck of the Sun and Fun Radio building uh, there in, on the Sun and Fun grounds. And anyone who wants to come by to watch or listen or maybe even participate can settle in on the lawn beside the, beside the deck. And there's a public address system. You'll be able to hear what we're talking about and uh, maybe even participate. We on will the, be looking for volunteers to run back and forth between the, that deck and Margaritaville. <laughs> uh, to, to bring us uh, uh, certain libations. <laughs> so, I mean, those of you who are down there, and sure, the I think that's and, a great enhancement to the plan, Jeb. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Also, uh, uh, forgive so, me for interrupting. That's okay. Uh, on the episode that day, uh, will be of course be the three of us. Uh, we will be joined by some of the others who have been on the podcast in the past. Plus, we're going to have visits from other friends of ours from the GA community. It's going to be quite a fun uh, gathering. Uh, we're probably going to go longer than usual. We usually shoot to make this podcast about an hour long. Uh, on that day, we're probably going to record uh, two hours or maybe even more, and then we'll split it up into two episodes for the online version. Um, so it's it's going to be quite an event. Uh, we want to uh, give a big round of applause, a, a great big thank you to uh, Dave Shellbetter from Sun yes, and Fun indeed. Radio. Yes, indeed. Uh, and also to everyone from Sun and Fun for their uh, help in organizing this and in advance for their hospitality during the uh, during the event so uh, 
So if you're going to be at Sun and Fun, mark your calendars, Wednesday, April 18, right after the Daily Air Show at the Sun and Fun Radio Building, which is right behind the big FAA exhibit building. And uh, this is going to be great. I'm really looking forward yeah. to this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this, too. Our thanks to uh, Dave Schalbetter, who chairs the Sun and Fun Radio Operation, and Donna Gabriel, who works in the uh, uh, Media Communications Office of Sun and Fun, Inc., and uh, all the good folks here at Lakeland. Uh, we've been excited about this prospect. Uh, we hope to make it... Uh, Worth your time to stop by, and and as always, uh, worth clicking on the uh, the button on your uh, on on your uh, uh, website screen uh, for when you listen to it. If you don't make it down, so. That's right. Uh, one way or another, we hope you'll be there. And, and and because it's going to be broadcast live, I mean, we certainly want as many people as possible to come by and actually be, uh, be there with us physically. But um, if you're just in Lakeland and are unable to get by, because it's going to be live on uh, on Sun and Fun Radio, you can listen from wherever you are on the grounds. I believe, and boy, I, I shouldn't even say this, if you're at Sun and Fun, there'll be plenty of places for you to see what the radio frequency is for uh, yeah. for Sun and Fun Radio. Yeah. But, uh, if but it's posted all over the place, it'll be uh, uh, broadcast on there. PA system and broadcast on their uh, on their radio station. Yeah, so please do come by. Um, it's we're going to have a lot of fun, and uh, and you guys will just add to the fun. So that's our big announcement. One one of the things we haven't ironed out is the the uh, uh, level or degree of uh, audience participation. Uh, we hope that it would be fairly substantial, but yeah. uh, um, um, those of you who who are at Sun and Fun and have the time and the opportunity to come by and see us. Please be assured that uh, uh, even if we, we we don't get you on the air, that we will be uh, around and we'd be happy to sit down and chat with you uh, uh, when the broadcast is concluded. So uh, don't don't feel left out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you guys have been going to Sun and Fun for a long I've only been to Sun and Fun once, and okay. I have very, very fond memories of it. Uh, I oh, had, sure. I had a blast, and it just hasn't kind of fit geographically and whatever schedule-wise into my life since then. But uh, what, what are, I mean, let's not, what, tell me about one of your favorite Sun and Fun memories over the years. <laughs> Dave, go ahead. All right, I, all right let you, me rephrase the question. Yeah, let uh, me rephrase the question. Uh, what's one of the sun and fun <laughs> memories that you can talk about in a family gathering? <laughs> narrows it down a bit. Uh, uh, you have to Gina. you have to qualify it. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of of uh, for me. There there are a lot of uh, smaller uh, vignettes. Uh, uh, I remember hanging out with Michael Maya Charles. Uh, um, one day, uh, walking around the uh, the vintage and antique uh, um, um, tie down area, and, and just kind of gawking and marveling at at uh, some of the very neatly turned out airplanes there, getting some getting a lot of good photos and, and whatnot of that. Um, some of the uh, uh, shopping, uh, be quite honest with you, I'm uh, not just a, uh, an airplane owner, but uh, you know I. I, I uh, uh, try to maintain the thing also and uh, uh, poking into some of the uh, what I would what for some people might be just junk dealers uh, for me they're more treasure dealers uh, uh, the fly market yeah well the fly market is is also good you got to get there early in the in the show to to really catch uh, the good bargain the best and deals that's yeah best selection. But, that's true yeah there are a lot of other vendors in the past who uh, you know ha- have uh, uh, brought in parts and components and things like that 
and uh, some of these are are very wor worthwhile for airplane owners to to go see. And I've picked up a lot of neat and interesting things. The the shoulder harnesses in my airplane came from a vendor at Sun and Fun. Uh, I've got uh, uh, some uh, overhead lights that were installed. Uh, the eyeball, the airline style eyeball lights uh, um, that uh, came from there, and just all kinds of neat stuff. And and those kinds of uh, of uh, what I would call uh, just finds and, and uh, rare moments are always valuable to me. The the people down there are always good. I, uh, a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, I know from uh, um, email lists and, and uh, uh, shall we say, the virtual world, uh, I finally have met face-to-face -face at, at Sun and Fun. Uh, same is true for Oshkosh. Uh, so um, we'll talk about that show in a few. Yeah, days. we'll we'll talk about Oshkosh probably uh, June July. But uh, um, for for me, um, the real value of, of Sun and Fun is uh, scraping off the the rust that was accumulated over the winter, um, breaking out of of the Northeast, uh, the Mid Atlantic area, and and kind of getting out to the real world and. Uh, Kind of getting the the aviation juices flowing again uh, for the year, and that's yeah. uh, uh, there are a lot of different uh, reasons to go to Sun and Fun. There are a lot of different reasons for me to go to Sun and Fun, but breaking that cherry, as it were, getting getting that first uh, that first taste of aviation camaraderie and and uh, um, tire kicking for the season is really the the great value to, of Sun and Fun to me. It's 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 hard for me to pick a favorite Sun yeah. and Fun moment because uh, my first exposure to Sun and Fun came 27 years ago, and uh, it was this. Uh, you were still in diapers then. That's what I was going to say. He's a three-year-old, right? That's right. But it was diapers <laughs> with ultralight pilot wings on them, uh, which is redundant. Which is redundant. Uh, you know, sort, it, sort of a flying nun kind of thing, only with diapers, I remember, right? Yeah. I remember sharing uh, the airspace around the ultralight area with uh, over a hundred other ultralights uh, one afternoon uh, during the open flying period in the late 80s. Uh, I remember a phenomenal uh, opening day balloon launch uh, in 2002. That was the last year that they uh, uh, had the balloon launch, and the opening day was on Sunday. Uh, but the uh, balloons uncharacteristically drifted south across the showgrounds uh, where all the crowds there at the, at, at the opening day festivities could see, I think it was 41, 42 balloons in the air together, all huddled up and drifting slowly across the skyline. Uh, I remember some great evenings in the campground, uh, crunching on uh, roast corn uh at the corn roast over there uh and a lot of wonderful evenings visiting friends around campfires and uh, uh sundry uh impromptu music jam sessions and cookouts uh some great great air show performances over the years uh uh it was the first place where i saw uh, a beach 18 and a lear 24 flown in aerobatics uh oh. So you, you 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 see some great stuff there, uh, but the big thing about Sun and Fun for me is it really kind of uncaps 
the the flying season. It it, it marks the the start of the spring show season. It's when uh, a lot of manufacturers and businesses uh, empty out the R and D hangers where they've been humping all winter long to come up with new gadgets and widgets and things for us to use, and bring them down to Sun and Fun for a for the public's first peek. And uh, uh, but most of all, just the warmth of the people and the, uh, the, the the great camaraderie that comes. It's a nice laid-back show. It's laid out kind of like a, uh, a wheel around a hub. So walking from Warbirds to Ultralights to Chopper Town to the commercial area is a little less uh, demanding than uh, walking uh, 1836 at, uh, at Oshkosh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the... Uh, the, the attitude that this is a this is a fun fly in let's have fun yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah and, and and I never failed to never a couple failed to. a couple episodes back we were uh, we were talking about uh, Bob Hoover the great uh, airshow pilot and you guys uh, remembered how you had been together or been on site the sa- at the same time to watch Bob's last performance there at Sun and Fun when you were telling that story it it sounded I kind of something went off in my head, and I said, "Why does that sound so familiar?" And I suddenly realized it's because I was there that year too. Uh, ah, that was the one year I was at at Sun and Fun, and uh, and Did remember you call that deja vu. Yeah, it's something like that. Uh, and now I, although I didn't, uh, Dave and Dave and uh, you and I had sort of known each other at that time. It was about you know halfway back during the time of when we were working on Air Venture today, um, but. We didn't really have any contact during the year. I think we probably nodded at each other uh, while we were there at Sun and Fun. I might have said hi hey, or something. Hey, Jack, good to see you. Exactly. Kept it in, kept on. No, you were, for you, it was probably more like, you know, I know that guy from Air Venture today, but I can't remember his name. That's probably what it was. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, serendipitously, we were we were all three there uh, that year to see Bob Hoover's final flight. But I'll tell you my, my – so that was a that's a very sweet memory of Sun and Fun for me. But here's my – sort of most outrageous memory of Sun and Fun. Um, I was out there that year. Uh, I, I was at, this was at the tail end of the dot-com boom. And I was working at the time, this is while I was still in California, I was working as a business development guy for a very, very small uh, dot-com startup. And uh, the president of our startup got it into his head that for promotional reasons, because it was an aviation-related startup, and for, for promotional reasons, he decided that we needed to buy one of these blimps, all right, a, a, an airship, okay? <laughs> I always kind of figured it was probably never going to be within our reach, all right? But the president of the company, as presidents should be, all right, had a big goals, and he said, Jack, you need to go out and find out what's involved in buying us one of these blimps, all right? So I got in touch with the folks that uh, manufacture, and they, they, the way it works is they actually operate the, the airships uh, on behalf of the clients. And uh, and I he, we talked about the fact that we were going to be at Sun and Fun with our exhibit booth, and that one of their airships, the Bud Light airship, was going to be at Sun and Fun. And I arranged for myself and the president of our startup and one other member of our group to actually get a ride on the Bud Light airship very that cool. year. And uh, so it was quite a production. It was very very cool to go out. You know, we had to go out like like really o dark thirty. We had to go out to the field and uh, meet up with them. And I think there was one other group that were a couple. A couple people who were going to get a ride as well and uh you know watch them prep the thing it had been sitting there on the field overnight it's quite a production boy i'm telling you if, if you're not at all familiar with with airship 
operations issues because there's a lot of weight and balance issues that you just kind of don't even think about. I mean, the fact that there is morning dew condensation on the actual envelope, the actual airship, makes a big difference, all right? It changes the weight. It changes the buoyancy, if you will. I don't know all the terminology. Anyways, it was interesting to watch them kind of prep, and they were giving us a little bit of, uh, of ground school about it, and then we climbed into the, uh, the I think they call it a gondola, uh, and, yep. uh, and, and, and then just kind of took off, and we went cruising out for about, uh, I don't know, an hour or 45 minutes out around the countryside, and then came back and made an approach over the field and kind of came down, touched down in the middle of the field there, and uh, it was very cool. It was very cool. That, Buzzing uh, sun and fun in a blimp kind of takes a while, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's definitely a more a slower, more kind of you know relaxed <laughs> kind of flying, uh, but uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. That was a great memory. Yeah, between checkpoints. Yeah, that's right. So that was my memory of Sun and Fun. Well, we're going to have a good time. We're going to make some more memories at Sun and Fun this year, and you know, uh, we look forward one, to. One ha- thing we need to to touch on though, um, in preparation for Sun and Fun, and and I think this is something that uh, we should be harping on in the weeks leading up to Sun and Fun and to Oshkosh and to AOPA and NBAA and all other fly-in type Here it comes. is get the notum, read the notum, understand the notum, and fly the notum. And have um, it with you in the cockpit. Have it, and please, have it with you in the cockpit. Print it out or, or order a pre-printed copy or something like that. Have a tattooed on your arm. Um, I, you know, I don't want to get off on a rant here, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> the, the, the concept of flying into one of these air shows where there are, pick a number of airplanes, generally, you know, on the order of 25 to, to 50, all buzzing around the same airspace uh, at the same general altitudes, trying to get onto the same runway at the same time is a recipe for minimally confusion, uh, maximally disaster. And uh, I can... Uh, uh, I vividly remember one year flying the the published arrival uh, at Sun and Fun, circling the lake, uh, leaving the lake, headed for the power plant, about to turn south, uh, along with, you know, 10 or 15 of my closest friends in various airplanes around me, and seeing an experimental amphibian go the other way about 50 feet above me. Um, and and uh, the seats, the seats. Now we know why Jeb takes this so seriously. A couple of years ago, um, I am am just adamant uh, on these things. There is no excuse for a, a, a certificated general aviation pilot not to be informed of what the notum has, not to have the has in it, not to have the notum in their cockpit, and not to comply with it. It is. It is. In my mind, just a mandatory, fundamental thing that pilots should be doing. There is no excuse for not doing it. The good time that you save, the life that you save, damn well be your own. Well, not only that, but the sheet belt. And and somebody else's else's well-being could suffer along with yours if you're not prepped. Yeah. Uh, Jim Jim and I, excuse me, Jim and I both have our... Uh, respective first-hand, personal, up-in-our-face, hot-button experiences uh, over people who didn't have the NOTAM, hadn't read the NOTAM, uh, you know, and lied about it, uh, flying the Lake Parker arrival. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Lake Parker arrival is 
actually fairly simple, fairly <laughs> it's straightforward. It's bone simple. It's uh, well structured, and uh, uh, I, I admit using a lake in that part of Florida as the entry point for a, uh, a structured arrival to an event like Sun and Fun might seem a little crazy because of the number of lakes that are there. But in this day of portable GPS navigators and panel GPS navigators, with all the waypoints being laid out in Latin long in the no-town, there's no bloody freaking excuse for not being able to pick the right lake and the right power plant, which is in the north side, fellow aviators, the north side of Lake Parker. You put your left wing over the lake shore, fly counterclockwise, go over the power plant and continue until the controllers release you to go forward. Now, that's pretty straightforward, folks. Yeah. Wing tip over the lakeshore. That doesn't mean wing tip a mile away from the lakeshore because you don't want to get in that queue that's already over the lakeshore, but then you intersect the other pattern at the power plant. That's a recipe for somebody getting wrinkled. Uh, the NOTAM's available through the Sun and Fun website. That would be www.sunandfun.org. Uh, there's a supplemental there with nice big maps, and all of us should be able to read the maps pretty easily. Uh, all the frequencies are there. The procedures are there. Uh, whether you're coming in by Warbird or Ultralight or Airship, yeah, they've got you covered. That NOTAM is also available on the FAA website um, uh, through one of the uh, aeronautical information manual links. Um, Dave is absolutely correct. I mean, it's you get within 10 miles of that airspace, and the lake is easy to pick out. Um, um, the weather down there. It's the there, biggest one in the neighborhood. Right, it's the biggest one in the in the area. Uh, it's a no-brainer to figure out which lake it is, where the power plant is, and how you should be doing this. Well, it's um, the only lake out there with two power plants: one on the north shore and one on the south shore. Right, and the uh, when the Lake Parker uh, uh, airspace fills up, there's another lake just to the south, maybe five miles. Um, that's easy to find. Oh, oh, you can see this, the Lakeland Airport from orbiting the lake. You can figure out exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Um, if you can't figure this out, if you can't get a copy of the NOTAM, you shouldn't be going to Sun and Fun. Yeah. You should be driving. My, yeah, I couldn't, agree, I couldn't agree more. My experience with this kind of stuff is that the folks at Sun and Fun and at these other fly-ins do a terrific job of devi devi devising uh, airspace procedures to uh, to deal with all the aircraft that arrive in these areas. And it doesn't take an awful lot to uh, to comply with them, to to read them and absorb them and internalize them and then follow them. And uh, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Get the notums, read them through, read them through again, make sure you understand what you're reading, you know, and to the extent that we're giving you a advice here about lakes and power plants remember it doesn't replace the fact that you need to read it carefully and understand it and uh, and take it with you in the airplane so that when yeah. you have a question it will be answered yeah and a couple of a couple of little niggling items that are, are the most frequent uh, causes of issues even among people who have the no town first off it's a thousand feet above the lake and a hundred knots that's that's the that that's the no tam admonition there. You fly a thousand feet, a hundred knots. A hundred knots is not is not. Remember your private pilot training. A hundred miles an hour. 
So if nor, nor is it 80 knots. That's right. It's 100, 100 knots. knots. 100 knots is 100 knots. If your airspeed indicator is calibrated only in miles per hour, make it 115 and it'll work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, on the altitude, uh, I've encountered and spoken personally with and nearly dinged guys who forgot to reset the altimeter to the local setting and came blasting into the Parker arrival uh, several hundred feet off altitude complaining about the other traffic that wasn't at their altitude mm -hmm. only to find out <clears throat> excuse me only to find out later because the last time they reset their altimeter on their VFR flight down to Lakeland was when they lifted off back home yeah. right kitties you got to keep up with those altimeter yeah. settings because the rest of us do. Well, I think we've made those our point two, here. I think we've made our point. Things, and, uh, those two things, and I'll buy you a beer. Yeah, and, and, oh, well, and there you we'll, go. We'll, we'll probably have the opportunity to make this point once or twice more before uh, yeah. Sound and Fun is yeah. over with. Um, but read the note, M. Come down there. Read the note, M. Bring it with you. Make sure you follow the procedures. Everything will be hunky dory. And then after that, have a hell of a good time. Yeah. Have a hell of a good time. Yeah. <clears throat> and look, look us up. And look us up. Come to the come to the broadcast. Anyways, let's move on here. There was a one big story in the news in the aviation news this past week uh, was the uh, revelation, I guess you want to call it, that uh, Congress has come to the conclusion that a lot of people have been falsifying uh, the information they submit when they go for their FAA medicals, uh, and that uh, our friend uh, Congressman Oberstar um, it may actually uh, do an investigation or have some hearings on this. You guys have any uh, yeah. any reaction to this? Well, Which? they've already done a, uh, an investigation. Uh, yeah. The uh, staff, back up a second. Um, kind of representative Jim Oberstar is a representative from Minnesota. He also is chairman of the full House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. And uh, I forget how they came uh, to this. It's in the uh, the report that the committee issued. Um, but his uh, committee staff has has done. Uh, an investigation of um, some of what they call, uh, um, uh, I don't know, violations or, uh, uh, well, but, but falsified it's FAA medicals. Basically, people who go get a medical from their AME and um, fail to fully disclose any medical conditions uh, that uh, either require additional documentation or might be disqualifying. Um, the committee is fairly hot, uh, from what I've seen uh, in the documentation, uh, on this topic. Uh, and I think there will be hearings uh, on this in the next few weeks, and it will not be a pretty thing. Um, medical, uh, um, some of the medical uh, stuff probably is uh, uh, one of the more highly violated, more frequently violated federal aviation regulations. There are a number of check boxes on the form. Uh, and whether by uh, uh, a, a, an innocent omission, uh, forgetting uh, uh, an illness or a visit to a doctor in the preceding year or two, or um, by uh, an error of, of commission, by uh, uh, blatantly deciding that I'm not going to report something, um, the violation exists, and it can be a very, <clears throat> excuse me, a very expensive one, uh, both in terms of losing losing your certificate. Uh, either temporarily or permanently, and or paying a, a fairly hefty fine. Um, the committee also looked back at uh, some fatal accidents, um, one of which uh, kind of highlight they highlighted uh, um, 
that, um, yeah, there were some medical issues involved in that accident, but the ultimate cause of the accident uh, had not really nothing to do uh, um, with medical issues. It had to do with uh, um, inoperative equipment in the airplane. Um, nevertheless, um, we can expect, as I say, some uh, some fairly unpleasant hearings for general aviation on this in, in the coming weeks, I think, Let me and, and probably some remedial legislation. Let me play the devil's advocate here and say, what's the harm, okay? I mean, that, that form asks a lot of really nitpicky little questions about your medical history, and it asks about things that I don't think really apply to my skills as a, a pilot. I mean, I know I'm safe to fly, so I'm going to be, you know, kind of discreet about some items that I think are personal, and... Uh, you know, answer the questionnaire the way I want to answer it. What's the well, harm? I'm going to I'm going to answer that in, in in two ways. First of all, I'm going to say that uh, that's what the law is, and I'm I'm never going to be in a position of advocating that anyone violate the law uh, or uh, uh, do something that's unsafe, uh, either outside or near an airplane. Uh, now, having said that, I will not disagree with you, Jack. There are some uh, aspects of the medical certification process. Uh, that make no sense. Uh, and in fact, I would suggest to you that uh, in a strictly relative sense, um, there are a lot of people driving cars uh, who <clears throat> uh, would not be able to pass an FAA medical and should not be driving. And that perhaps that is a greater threat uh, to safety in this country than are uh, a handful of pilots who uh, um, <clears throat> might have a, a condition that makes them uh, 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 not eligible for a medical certificate. That said, um, <clears throat> there are circumstances uh, involving operation of an airplane where uh, being relatively healthy is certainly being in compliance with the FAA's medical, minimal medical requirements um, uh, is a safety issue. Um, I'm not advocating um, violating the law. I'm not advocating ignoring the law. Perhaps the, the law needs to be changed a little bit to, to kind of bring itself into compliance with uh, uh, current medical practices and, and medical technology. Um, but it is what we have. It is what we are, and, and we have to live with it. And uh, there's, there's a growing amount of evidence accumulated by that committee that says we're not doing the job. Dave, you're surprisingly quiet. That's because I muted it out while my cell phone was ringing. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a there's a little red button on those things that kind of turns them off. Well, and I forgot to do that. Uh, uh, I understand. Let me uh, let me chime in here with my own experience on this. Uh, Twenty years ago, as a reporter based in Washington for the then Business Daily, the New York Journal of Commerce, uh, I picked up a tip about an effort to reopen an investigation into an airline crash. Uh, the uh, National Transportation Safety Board had already ruled on the, uh, on the accident. Uh, it was a uh, crash of an airliner on approach to Dallas-Fort Worth that uh, occurred when the uh, flight crew tried to, uh, tried to land through a thunderstorm, a visible thunderstorm with visible lightning. Uh, Is this the Dallas L10, Delta L-1011? That's the one. Well, in the course of my investigation for my newspaper, uh, I uh, picked up a tip and ultimately confirmed that the uh, captain had been taking uh, 
antipsychosis medication. Uh, was disqualifying that medication. Uh, now he told his wife and some other people that he was on a medication for grinding his teeth at night called bruxism in the uh, medical parlance. Uh, problem was that there was no uh, uh, approved use of that medication for bruxism. Nobody had ever heard of it being used for bruxism. Apparently the guy had been treated uh, for some uh, mental health problems, had been prescribed this medication. Uh, limits on the medication where you were supposed to take it I think it was no more than uh, 10 weeks with no less than 10 weeks off in between. And he'd been using different doctors and different pharmacies to fill different scripts to keep himself in a steady supply of this. None of this was reported on his medical. He had kept it from the airline. He'd kept it from his AME. Uh, and apparently we could never prove this because uh, the uh, uh, condition of his remains after the crash but uh, from all indications he was likely under the influence of this medication when he made the command decision to land that aircraft through a thunderstorm mm -hmm. and one of the one of the uh, effects to that medication was that it affects your judgment now this guy didn't think he was doing any harm because the medication made him feel fine and did what it was supposed to do for him and keeping him mentally sharp. But lo and behold, he makes a really boneheaded command decision that his first officer was uh, not happy with. His first officer thought they were going to go around, uh, crashed an airplane, killed people. Mm -hmm. So you might think that... Uh, Shine in on uh, on a little information, you know, shade in your medical application. Didn't really hurt anything because what business is it theirs? Uh, and it really helps you feel fine and it's not having an effect on you. Uh, so, unless you're a physician, you're really not qualified to make that call, in my sure. opinion. Yeah. Well, now here's. And, but now here's, a, here's my next question, though. Um, so, it, if this controversy, little making a little finger quotation marks here, this controversy continues to grow. Is this going to spill over into sport pilot um, where we are encouraged to self-qualify uh, ourselves? Un unknown at this point. Um, certainly the, the, the capability that exists for that, but... Um, uh, so there's a limit on the how, the, how, how, how you can falsify your, uh, your medical readiness to fly light sport because there's no form to fill out there there's no medical required uh, but there could well be the same standard that uh, that we face every day even those of us with medical certificates and that's making the day-to-day -day decision on whether we're really in uh, good enough shape to command an aircraft right uh, because even with a medical certificate, all stamped and sealed and approved by your AME and, 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 and blessed by the FAA, uh, medical certification is a self-guided uh, uh, self discipline on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you may have a medical certificate and be taking something for flu or for uh, uh, congestion and antihistamine, something that makes you drowsy, uh, where it says clearly on the box, do not operate machinery or drive while taking this medication. Uh, that means that you shouldn't certify yourself as ready to fly that day. And the same thing applies there for sport pilot. Uh, since all you have to have to be medically qualified 
on a legal basis for sport pilot is a driver's license, a valid driver's license. Uh, the standard there is going to be a little bit different. Uh, and we already have issues where people medically self-certify that they're in shape to fly when they maybe really shouldn't be because of medication they're on or because of uh, uh, mental distractions, emotional upheavals in their household or at work. Uh, so we, we need to boil this down to the fundamental. It's something that you have to do before you turn the key every time. Um, yeah, Dave's absolutely right. I mean, um, the, the the sport pilot certification process uh, um, is based on the driver's license. Uh, uh, it is based on self-certification. And in fact, um, once once one obtains a formal FAA medical certificate, the day-to-day uh, maintenance of that certificate uh, is is up to the pilot. He, he or she uh, literally self certifies every day before he or she flies that you know they are not suffering uh, um, an illness or a condition that would make them uh, disqualified. And in fact, if you if you uh, had the misfortune in the past, perhaps to uh, uh, lose or misplace a medical certificate or have one destroyed. Um, and you contact Oklahoma City for uh, a replacement, what they will do, uh, what they have done in the past anyway, is uh, telegram, send a telegram saying that all, basically all of our records show that uh, uh, Pilot X is, is eligible to hold a pilot certificate. Well, what that means is that um, their records indicate that um, their, the certificate was issued within the past year, two, or three, depending on the, their certification uh, class of the medical certificate, uh, but that the day-to-day maintenance and validity of that certificate remains up to the pilot. And uh, um, in, in the instant case where we have uh, a lot of falsified medicals, to an extent we're kind of talking apples and oranges. Um, <clears throat> in that that's what the the committee uh, staff has uncovered is what they would consider uh, a blatant falsification uh, of uh, during the the application process in other words you go through the certificate form and you check off all these boxes saying you know I'm, I'm not diabetic uh, I don't have any heart problems I I'm not taking uh, a medication uh, to, to uh, for for depression, uh, all of these things, and in fact, some of the accidents they have have uncovered, the investigation has revealed that these uh, um, pilots basically had falsified those records. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and and it's and it's it can be a little bit it can be a little bit tough. Uh, uh, my my wife and I, Annie, both know people who uh, are taking uh, depression medication for other medical reasons. Right. They're not being treated for depression. Uh, they have no uh, mental health issues. They have no, uh, no problems with, uh, with their head. Uh, but the uh, antidepressants help them with things like migraine headaches or, uh, 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 well, that's the primary one, migraine headaches or uh, 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 weight loss, I've heard. But... Uh, so the form says, you know, are you taking any medication for depression? Well, you're not taking it for depression, but you're taking it anyway. Right. That disqualifies you, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Uh, the FAA does not, uh, unfortunately, differentiate uh, between some of these medications uh, on the cause of your need for them, only on the fact that you're taking them. 
So, uh, you know, it, it, it can be a little bit yeah. hard on, on a person uh, who, who doesn't really feel they deserve it. Yeah. Well, we need to move on here, but I, I think the upshot of all this is that uh, is that a first of all, it's the law. You need to be truthful on these, uh, you know, on these forms and in getting this exam. And but in any event, uh, it, it's probably a good idea for safety reasons to do full disclosure when you're filling out the form, and, and even though you, it feels got, weird. If you've got questions or worries, uh, there's a couple of things that you can do for yourselves before you head down to the AME the next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, good folks at uh, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association have on their website uh, something called a Turbo Medical. Uh, you can go, go through the exact same FAA form, print it out, fill it out, uh, and it will tell you whether what your answers are create any issues. Then you can pick up the phone and call a medical advisor at the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association and learn if there's a workaround, if there's an alternative, uh, what the prospects of a waiver are, whether you'll even need a waiver. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of these conditions that worry people uh, are such that the FAA allows the uh, AME in the field to go ahead and issue a medical certificate without a waiver. Uh, Hypertension, high blood pressure is one of those. I think that's really uh, good advice. The AOPA helpline folks are uh, are don't, you know don't 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 get yourself in a bind because you're worried that you'll fail a medical and then be able to unable to fly. Run yourself through this well in advance if you think you have an issue. Turn to the AOPA for the help that your dues help pay for. Uh, presuming you're a member, and most of us are, 411,000 right now. Uh, use the help that they offer and uh, work on getting it straightened out so that uh, when you do have to go down to the AME, you've already got the form filled out. You can sit it in their hot little hands and, uh, and, and be in a position to, uh, to work through what the issue is and come out with your medical certificate. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Moving on. Let's see now. Uh, so I mentioned earlier we got a lot of good feedback, a lot of good uh, yeah. email and, and listener line stuff this past week. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, we're not going to try and do it all here today. Uh, we're going to save some of it for the future. Um, we got uh, a, a bunch of responses. We really kind of struck a nerve, I mean, in a good way, I think, uh, on this whole concept of the frugal student, student pilot, which is a term that one of our listeners came up with. Uh, a, a lot of people, I mean, and I guess it's it's to be expected, but a lot of people are very, very interested in the idea of how to... Uh, learn to fly on a budget and uh, we've got a bunch of uh, good ideas from listeners and we're going to save those and kind of make it a make it a feature uh, in a future episode so we'll come back to those last episode we did invite uh, listeners who were outside of the continental United States to uh, to check in and uh, we got two in particular <laughs> that I think are pretty cool uh, the first one is from uh, from Nick Nick is from New Zealand. He says, hey, Jack uh, and guys, just wanted to you to know that I really enjoy listening to your podcast. I'm only new to aviation, so I'm keen to get a hold of as much information as I can. Uh, that's how I came across your podcast. I find it very interesting. He says, I'm a student pilot pre-solo studying at the South Canterbury Aero Club in Timaru, New Zealand. Uh, he says, we have in our club two tomahawks and one archer. He says, I had a good look at Google Earth, and according to it, I am 8,636.65. <laughs> this is the part I love. 
Everybody's giving us like to the to the tenth of a mile, right? He's eight thousand six hundred thirty-six point six five miles from Oshkosh. I As must, the crow flies, I must be, great circle. I right. must be yeah. close to being the furthest away. Uh, this is this is regarding the prize that Jeb wildly offered up last time. So uh, uh, we'll <laughs> have to have Nick, a talk. You're right. Yeah. You're really close to. Yeah. He says, I, but. But so he says I've signed a contract with the local club that will get me to solo for eight hundred and sixty-one dollars U.S. Now Ooh, he wow. then says he then goes on to qualify it, saying this includes ground instruction and ten hours of dual instruction. Uh, That's they, great. They say that, that is a student, great deal. They say that a student with average ability will generally go solo within ten hours. Uh, he then says once you have your uh, PPL, you can hire a tomahawk for ninety-nine dollars U.S. per hour. Um, although he says we do pay seven dollars a gallon for Avgas. Very expensive, he says, but still worth it. He asks how this compares to the U.S. Cheers, and Nick. That's almost as expensive as scotch. Nick from Timaru. <laughs> Nothing's more expensive than Nick scotch. Nick from Timaru, New Zealand. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. So, yeah, that's uh, those prices are interesting. That that training price is very, in my experience, is, is a really good deal compared to 99 prices. bucks an hour for, for a, a Tramahawk is not bad at all. Uh-huh. Um, uh, seven bucks a gallon for Avgas is uh, uh, more than a little steep for what are you guys U.S. prices. Now? Four, four and a half. Uh-huh. It kind of depends. That's in the Washington D.C. area. How about getting under? You can get it for under four around here. Yeah, yeah. Now, I can get it for I can get it for under three. Um, I'm a member of a fuel club at a nearby airport, but that airport is in the middle of the freeze, and it's uh, shall we say a Charlie Foxtrot just to go top off. But uh, I have done it before, and I will do it again here. Actually, uh, uh, before I go to Sun and Fun, I'll pop over there and, and top things off. Mm-hmm. But um, um, the average price I'm paying—I think I paid three ninety last week in Georgia. Um, I don't know what the local FBO uh, is charging anymore. I've kind of uh, decided not to buy more fuel from them. But uh, that's a <laughs> You'll whole be glad topic. to hear that. That's right. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. So, Nick. We had another offshore list. Yeah, right? Nick is 8,600 miles away, and you would have thought that would be a, a good candidate you, you, for you. You thought winner. we'd have had a winner there, but. But we also got email from Dave, and Dave is from Australia. Dave Dave's writes, not here. Dave writes, hey, guys. <laughs> hey, guys. Just listening to Show 21, giving a shout-out to non-Americans. I'm Dave from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, he says, also, it's nice of Jeb to give us a plug on the last show during the discussion of the A380. He says, I am a GFPT student pilot working on my PPL. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys don't have the GFPT. That stands for General Flight Proficiency Test. Not strictly a license, but a sign-off to fly solo within the training area and carry passengers. It's essentially the PPL without the navigation elements, he writes. He says, I fly out of Lilydale Airfield. That's Y-L-I-L. Just oh, I, just love of, these. I just love these names. Yeah. Yeah. Lilydale Airfield, uh, just east of Melbourne, Australia. A stunning place to fly, as well as one of the major wine regions in Australia. Very scenic, oh, he bet writes. That's gorgeous. Yeah, I bet it is. Uh, he actually and has how some, far is he? He has some comments here about Frugal Pilot, and we'll come back to those later on. But he then says, Lilydale is 9,647.0098 miles from Oshkosh. See, this is, the, this is like Google Maps. This is what's doing us. You know, Google Maps told him that he was, gave him this information to the thousandth, to the ten thousandth of a mile. What's ten thousandths of a mile? It's like six it's inches. About tw- yeah, I was going to say 12 inches. Six no. inches. He's nine thousand. But in 
any event, 9,647 <laughs> miles from Oshkosh, according to geodistance.com. Uh, and if says, he reaches across his desk, he's added another, you know, a thousandth of a mile. That's so. right. He says, I challenge well, Nick, anyone... I, 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 I got a tip for Nick on how he can uh, how he can win this contest. Uh, is put the string from uh, New Zealand to Oshkosh going the other way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he says I challenge I anyone. Be I challenge anyone to beat that distance. Give me the prize. He says, "Great podcast, guys. Keep it going and safe flying, everyone." Signed, Dave from uh, Lilydale Airfield in Australia. So I don't know. That's it's going to be tough to beat that one. I think we're going to give people a, a little, a couple more weeks to to check in. But I, but Australia may well be exactly the other side of the Earth. I mean, it may be hard to get further away than that. Yeah. But uh, um, and, and I, I think you know, I kind of have to uh, fess up here. The the prize that we offer to the listener who chimes in from the furthest point from Oshkosh is a free subscription to the podcast. Yeah. So I don't want to yeah, mislead anybody here, but uh, um, I just wanted to kind of reiterate that. Yeah, and okay. the, prize is, the prize is valid. We will give that prize. Yeah, right. Well, we'll you know what? It. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we'll do slightly better than that, but, uh, but right. yeah, we'll come All up right. with, a, as one of my favorite childhood radio announcers used to say, a swell prize. And uh, <laughs> uh, we'll tell you more about that later on. So, anyways, thank you to... Uh, Thank you to uh, these two guys from New Zealand and from Australia. That's really cool to hear about that. We really, really want to hear from more people uh, from anywhere, but particularly people from outside of the continental United States. Tell us about your flying. Tell us about your airport. Uh, and, uh, you know, tell us what it's like to be a pilot in your part of the world. And uh, if you can beat 9,600 miles, maybe there'll be a swell prize in it for you. What else? We, uh, yeah, we, we should tip our hat to the uh, to the uh, lawmakers in Australia because uh, oh yeah, uh, in the last week or so they voted to bring their uh, uh, privatized air traffic control system back under the management of the Civil Aviation Authority. Uh, you mean to tell me that they had this sort of user fee like structure and it didn't work? Oh yeah, it's not working out well. Who'd have thunk it? And uh, there was a former head of the Australian CAA uh, provided uh, information to uh, Phil Boyer at AOPA and, and presented it uh, on Capitol Hill about how privatizing the uh, uh, Australian air traffic system and instituting what they call user pays uh, has uh, decimated general aviation flying uh, on the island down under. So uh, hats off to the Aussie lawmakers. Now, it wasn't the GA aspect specifically that caused them to come to their senses. Uh, they realized that having a private entity in control of something that was supposed to be uh, uh, a safety-oriented uh, uh, operation maybe wasn't uh, uh, the best decision, particularly <laughs> since you had so much other authority vested with the uh, CAA itself. You know, we should fly a few of them up here to the states. It's interesting you 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 bring that up because I've this week I've uh, had the opportunity to do some research for a client uh, into uh, uh, the the user fee scheme and uh, uh, the proposed legislation and comparing it with uh, the existing law and and these kinds of things. And I'm I, the more I peel this onion, <clears throat> the more disgusted I really am. Uh, it is it is much worse in my mind, than 
uh, we've been told. I think AOPA and NBAA and some of the other alphabet soup groups are really uh, uh, pulling their punches on some of this. If, if you sit down and you start read start reading the uh, the proposed legislation, it's just a blatant giveaway, and, and that's the only word I can come up with. Uh, a giveaway of of federal assets, taxpayer paid assets, to the airlines, and um, uh, and they're going to pay for it um, by shifting the costs to non-airline users, uh, i.e., you and me and, and all the listeners out there. And is it the more I read it, the the more I peel this onion, the angrier and more frustrated I get. Uh, and uh, it, those those of our uh, uh, listeners who uh, uh, you know say, well, you know, Jeb's going off again. Yeah, hey, oh, that's fine. I I am going off again. But go to the AOPA website and and pick up. There's a couple of links there. You can you can find a copy. It's it's rather sizable, but a copy of the proposed legislation that the FAA put together, and just start scrolling through that. The the tax uh, provisions, uh, the user fee provisions uh, in that legislation are in the the last five pages, page 84 through page 88, and. Um, you sit down and you can you can find online the existing tax code um, for comparison and I uh, sit there and, and just kind of look at this uh, and it just boggles the mind uh, the, the blatant uh, things that they're trying to get away with here and uh, uh, if that doesn't make your blood boil and and, <laughs> and and make you ineligible for a medical certificate nothing else will. <laughs> well this has been this has been a recurring goal of the air takeaway association <laughs> I'm sorry the air transport association for uh, for for many years is to uh, shift the operation control and oversight of the air traffic service to a system that lets them set the rules, lets them decide the spending priorities, lets them set the fees. Uh, it's ugly, folks. It's wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, it is un-American. It is un-American. And if I have one more nummy tell me, well, uh, you know, uh, they really should give preference to uh, to those. Uh, everybody should be paying the same uh, because, well, you know, Trucks and cars pay the same, and it's like, really, no, really. No. I uh, I didn't realize that uh, all those trucks driving around saying I pay, you know, four thousand five hundred a year in user taxes. Uh, you telling me that your car generates four thousand five hundred a year in, in in fees? You know why trucks pay more? They carry more. They That's impose right. more of a load on the system. Exactly. And it's right. no different here. As always, uh, we're going to put. I'm sorry, Dave, finish the thought. I was just going to say the idea that uh, a Mooney or a Bonanza or a Cessna uh, or a Piper carrying or, or even a three people uh, should be paying the same or more than an airliner flown for profit carrying several hundred people is ludicrous on its face. As always, we'll put links to this stuff, uh, particularly the new information or the, the, the stuff Jeb was mentioning on the in the show notes, so check it out there. Um, you know... It, 
so many people are, are speaking out in, in, in you know opposition to this stuff. Uh, we certainly would. Well, I mean, all kidding aside now, we would welcome any of our listeners who have the opposite view to uh, explain to us uh, where we're going astray. If we are, I mean, I, I suspect we're not. And but, we'll be uh, polite. But, uh, you know, we, we would be give like a, Bill O'Reilly. We would give on, a, on, online. We'll be polite. Yeah. <laughs> we would give a fair hearing to anyone who submitted a good faith explanation as to why this is a good idea. And uh, just we, be, be forewarned, we, we don't we don't swallow propaganda. Yeah. So and we don't um, swallow stuff that we know that, that we can document to be untrue. But if so, you know, make the case come to us and, with uh, fairy tales. and we'll we'll uh, you know you make the case in a reasonable way, and uh, we'll we'll give you some time here. And also, well, be forewarned that Dave and I have both done this before. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. as usual, as usual, we're really running out of time here. Uh, let's see oh, now. No, any any it's not so. Any any last words about uh, things that are going on out there in the world, Dave? I think you had one. Well, yeah, I uh, I just wanted to point out something that's. Uh, Probably only about 60 years late coming. <laughs> uh, the good folks, uh, the members of uh, our United States Congress, are at last going to recognize the World War II contributions of some of the most heroic uh, pilots in the U.S. Army Air Force uh, at the time. And that was the nearly 1,000 airmen and mechanics from the Tuskegee Airmen experiment in Tuskegee, Alabama. Almost 500 of them served in combat. Uh, they suffered their own losses. Uh, they were part of an experiment that was designed to fail from the beginning. And when it didn't fail at the flight school phase and the advanced training phase, they sent them to North Africa and then sent them on missions to uh, protect nothing and then complained that they weren't shooting down any German aircraft because they were sending them on a mission where there were no German aircraft. <laughs> and uh, their, uh, their commander, Benjamin O'Davis, finally prevailed and got them into real combat over Italy and southern Europe, and they turned in one hell of a record. Now, this was a unit of black aviators at a time when everything in the United States was segregated, when the, uh, the, the talking line was that blacks couldn't operate anything as complex as an aircraft or engage in anything as complex as air-to-air -air combat. And uh, these fellows turned in a hell of a record on their own behalf, uh, endured unimaginable hardship and opposition, and succeeded in spite of it. So congratulations. Congress is going to... Uh, to award them the uh, uh, gold Congressional Gold Medal in D.C. next Thursday. I wish we could all be there to tip our wings to the uh, survivors of the Tuskegee Airmen and those that have already gone west. Congratulations, guys. I think it's 62 years past bloody due. Here, here. One, absolutely, Dave. And, and let me add another item in that same vein. This week, um, uh, actually, uh, it was last Friday, so it's it's been not quite a week ago. The uh, memorial service was held yesterday. One of the original Doolittle Raiders yeah. passed away this week, or last week. This was uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Chase J. Nielsen. Died in uh, at his home in Utah uh, last Friday. He was a crewman <clears throat> aboard one of 16... B-25 bombers that launched from the carrier USS Hornet on April 18, 1942, uh, and uh, 
uh, bombed Tokyo, Japan, one of the first defensive actions of World War II by the United States military. Um, and uh, at the time, a uh, just a, a real spike, a real shot in the arm for U.S. morale in that war. Uh, and kind of the, the as, as paraphrasing Winston Churchill, uh, kind of the end of the beginning, if you will. Um, and uh, there are the, the the trick here is that there are fourteen surviving uh, members of that raid still alive today. They get together each year um, for dinner um, and uh, drink a toast uh, to to uh, those who have gone before them. And uh, uh, this year, the uh, 2007 reunion will be held in San Antonio, April 17 through 21. Um, they, they do this uh, with some very uh, um, well-defined procedures and, and ceremony. They have goblets, and there's a a, a, a the reunion will be. This is this is from a U.S. Air Force news release on this topic. Quote: The reunion will be held annually until only two raiders remain. They will drink a final toast of a vintage bottle of cognac. The 2007 reunion, again, will be held in San Antonio, April uh, 17 through 21. Man, oh, man. Um, Anybody that doesn't know. Something else that should be commemorated and, and something else that we should uh, think about very, uh, very fervently. Anybody you, putting a microphone into the middle of that dinner, that'd be, that'd be a podcast. Oh, yeah. dude. And anybody who's not familiar with the uh, the Doolittle Raid, there's been tons written about it. Right. Uh, maybe a little over romanticized uh, for the time, but there was an excellent movie made about it. Uh, I believe Van Johnson for 1945. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Spencer Tracy played uh, uh, Colonel Doolittle. Yeah. Van Johnson's in it. A bunch of other faces that are familiar from 40s and 50s movies. Uh, these guys had. Boy, when you hear about the phrase brass balls, here's 80 guys and 16 aircraft that had them because they did something that had never been done before or since, launched medium land-based bombers off an aircraft carrier. Yeah. There's actual uh, footage of the, those takeoffs. or Is it of those takeoffs or is it, the, uh, yep. is it practice? It's of the actual takeoffs. Yeah, there is footage. I think it's in the movie, actually, yeah. of, of that. And, and, of course, the the, the film, the recent film, uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, um, did uh, tr did some treatment of that. It was uh, perhaps uh, not as accurate as it could be. I'll be uh, uh, charitable. Uh, and they had some, some interesting uh, uh, dramatization of that and, and I'm sure some uh, CGI uh, video yeah. uh, uh, of that launch, but uh, uh, if you, the movies, the original movie is pretty good. Um, but there's yes. you know just a lot of information out there on the internet on on yeah. that raid, and these, I think we all should be remembering these individuals. That's right. In a day and age when the when the word hero is thrown about, in my opinion, far far too lightly, <laughs> uh, these are guys who define it. Both of these groups, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. One more item, I. Uh, uh, just seeking a little sympathy here. I uh, started the annual inspection. Uh, that's right. I'm sorry. I forgot. We were going to talk about this, weren't we? Go ahead. Give us the short and, version, then we'll come back and really commiserate well, with you next time. Short version, the short version is uh, I'd really like to find the guy, Mr. Phillips, I presume is his name, who, who invented <laughs> that screwdriver and those screws and ask him what the hell he was thinking about. Uh, I take it you helped really out a bit. I take it you helped uh, yeah, out a bit. I, yeah, th these are. I always do uh, an owner uh, 
uh, assisted annual. I've had a close friend of mine, uh, 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 Lee Steichleather. Dave, you've met him before. I could, yeah, we man, know Lee. The, the man in be- the man in black. I, I sometimes call him uh-huh. uh, in my IA. And um, we we sit down and and we were doing, going through some paperwork stuff last night here on my kitchen table and uh, um, sit down and try to make a you know a party out of it on occasion but there's a lot of work involved and and uh this year we're trying to do some mods and and uh, clean up a few things that have kind of been left by the wayside in past years and uh, it's it's going to be fun it's going to be hard a lot of hard work it will get done uh before sun and fun and there will be a nice shiny clean well-maintained airplane uh uh to fly down there that's so, what i like to hear all right yeah well, I, so i take it you haven't you, gotten the final bill yet i'm sorry yeah you haven't gotten the final bill yet I, well, I, I kind of know what it's going to be. The biggest bill is going to be at Aircraft Spruce for parts and stuff. Uh-huh. So, All right. Well, let's talk about that more in the future. That's, a, I think, we'll, an interesting subject in general we'll to talk that. about. Well, and, speaking, uh, of, speaking of Beechcraft. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh that's yeah. Right. Go. yeah. All right. Real quick, because we're ago, long today. Go ahead, Dave. A few days ago, the uh, sale closed on... Uh, uh, Monday, actually. Monday, actually, on uh, Raytheon Aircraft Corp. here in Wichita. And it is now Hawker Beechcraft, Inc., uh, the good folks at Goldman Sachs and Onyx Partners uh, closed on their $3.3 billion purchase. Uh, they're promising some outstanding things uh, under the new management. Jim Schuster, who's been uh, the head man over there for several years, uh, is uh, is still with the company and will re- remain on board. Unlike when Onyx bought uh Boeing, Wichita, nobody's having to reapply for their job. Uh, matter of fact, they've got 500 openings. So if you've got skills in the aircraft manufacturing, selling, finishing, or promoting uh, uh, trades, you might check their uh, their website. Uh, 500 openings. Uh, and they're talking about, uh, once they get things rearranged, uh, launching no fewer than four derivatives or new models a year for the foreseeable future. So, Very cool. Uh, Raytheon Large in Lexington, Massachusetts, no longer has a hand in the operation. And uh, for that, uh, a whole lot of Chita and elsewhere should be very grateful. There you go. Well, Jack, you. pull out the fork. That's right. That's right, because we're Stick done. Stick us with a fork, we're done. <laughs> thank you, Dave. Uh, you can learn more about Dave and his work at DaveHigdon.com. And uh, thanks to Jeb. Learn more about him and his work at uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, AvWeb.com, and also JebBurnside.com. And me, learn a little bit more about me at JackHodgson.com. Also, check out my new podcast at TechPopuli.net. And, of course, learn more about all of us in the podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Thank you, everyone, and we'll talk to you again next time. Y'all come back now. TTFN. by the You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. Down came a jumbuck to drink beside the billabong. Up jumped the swag man and seized him with glee. And he sang. You can email your suggestions and feedback about this podcast to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. 